chapter 16. I don't mean to uh, thoughtlessly go back to John 16 as our text verse. Thought and prayed about it. We'll be in other passages this evening concerning the Holy Spirit. But I believe that we will still use this passage as our launching point here tonight. John chapter number 16 and verse number 5. John chapter 16 and verse number 5. Jesus says here, but now I go my way to him that sent me. We see, we see there, don't, don't miss, the distinction between the different, different figures of the Godhead, the different persons of the Godhead. Jesus Christ is going back to Him that sent Him, which of course would be God the Father. We know that in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life, and that God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. It was God the Father that made the choice to give us His Son. And so, Jesus is returning to Him that sent Him. That would be God the Father. And none of you asketh me, Whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is what? Expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak. And He will show you things to come. Notice this in verse number 14. He shall, what? Glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine and shall show it unto you. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please anoint this service with your power. I know your people have had many of them long days, and have many other things on their mind, and, and often I do as well. And It can be hard sometimes to, to come into church and truly separate our minds and our hearts from the, the cares of the day. But I pray for just a little while, Lord, that your power would be so evident and so obvious in our lives as we sit here and hear your word. Please speak to us, Lord. Anoint this service with power from on high. Please fill me, guide me, direct me. Lord, I move out of the way. This is your service. Please do the work that only you can do. We pray these things as we ask it in Jesus' name. And amen. You can be seated. We've been looking at the work of the Holy Spirit. We see in these first few verses how that He convicts men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. 
We see also that He guides us into truth. We spent some time on that. We, we looked at how He comforts the believer. And does He ever comfort when we need? We saw that His comfort is not only sometimes a flooding of feeling or of peace, which I do believe that He does, and I believe that even the Scriptures teach on that. But that often also the greatest comfort comes from the teaching of the Word of God as He guides us into truths that fix something in our heart and in our mind and in our spirit that was broken. We saw how that there have been times in, in or we talked about how that there have been times in our devotions or in certain services, how that the Holy Spirit of God pointed us to a certain truth that fixed something in us that was so, so powerful and so comforting that it moves us to emotion. Now, some Baptists are afraid to relate emotion to the Holy Spirit. I have said that the Holy Spirit is not a feeling. He is a person. But that does not mean that the work that the Holy Spirit does in us does not come with great feeling. And we've covered that. We've seen how that as He convicts, we have great feelings of sorrow, remorse, regret. That conviction creates feelings. And unfortunately, how that Christianity has begun to only identify the moving of the Holy Spirit with those feelings of great comfort and peace that flood out upon us during devotional times or during a certain song or during a certain service. And if we're not careful, we misidentify the movement of God in a service because we think He only moves when we feel good. And so we've seen that that is not necessarily the truth, that even though we often feel great and have great feelings of peace and joy and comfort when God fixes something in us through His Word, we also see that He convicts us greatly. That conviction has been evident at different times in Christian history. We see how that all of Nineveh was saved and came to God because of the conviction of God that came upon them and fell over them because they were afraid of judgment. We've talked about how that Jonathan Edwards, when he would preach his message, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Great conviction would fall over crowds to the extent that they would often cry out in fear that they might drop into hell at that very moment. That is also the movement of the Holy Spirit as much as the feelings of great comfort and joy and peace that we experience when He guides us into truth that comforts us. But He also guides us into truth that convicts us. And that is also the movement and power of God in a service or in our lives. Uh, I hope that you have been convicted in your own personal walk with God at times. It's important for us as Christians to not only be looking for comfort in the Scriptures, but to be looking for the guidance and help of God in His, in His, in His Word so that every time we sit down with His book in our laps, we're not just there looking for something that will make us feel good, but we're there for truth. Because only by that kind of work can the Holy Spirit truly grow a Christian. Because in order to grow us, sometimes He has to purge us and cut away some of the branches. Is everybody okay? Remember there uh, in another place in John where He makes it very clear that, that when we have growth, that sometimes He will purge us so that we may grow even more in Him. And so sometimes God will do some pruning through His Word. But some Christians have become so prone to only allow God to speak to us when we're looking for comfort that they open their Bibles every single time looking for God to make them feel better, when instead sometimes God needs to do a work in us. 
the Holy Spirit of God, when He moves, will be very evident. He's not always a good feeling and does not always bring good feelings, but He often does comfort. Somebody mentioned uh, a couple of services ago that actually sometimes the conviction of the Holy Spirit can itself be comforting. Because if God is convicting you of sin and you are still feeling convicted of sin, it means that He is still speaking and you're still hearing His voice and that's a good thing. Because if you have fallen away from God and you wonder whether or not God will have anything to do with you ever again and then He convicts you of your sin, then you know He's not done with you. Now, I don't personally believe after I've studied the, the Scriptures, I know preachers say different things about this, and, and the way we word it, we have to be careful. Uh, you know, but, but I don't necessarily personally believe that, that God ever stops speaking. The more I consider the Scriptures, I believe that in this New Testament age that we live in, with the Holy Spirit of God being poured out upon all flesh, I believe actually that He is always... <coughs> speaking to His people about different things. But I believe what happens is we become calloused to His speaking and we cannot hear Him. But I believe God is always trying to speak to His people. If we're not hearing His voice, it's often a result of calluses in our life from rejection and quenching of the Holy Spirit instead of it being God not speaking to His people anymore. I, I, I see that even in the Old Testament where even though there were times when God said that judgment was going to come upon His people, He still pleaded with them to come to repentance and He told them, if you'll just turn unto Me, then I will, I will repent of my, uh, of, of my judgment upon you. He desires for us to turn unto Him. Even in the Old Testament, when some say that He was more of a judgmental God, I see His grace all through that, that, uh, that, that portion of Scripture. The Holy Spirit of God has a work to do in the life of Christians. We've seen the conviction. We've seen how that He guides us into truth. We've seen His comfort. I want you to take your Bibles and turn, and we're going to try to cover a whole lot of ground tonight in the Bible. So lots of flipping of pages here as quickly as we can. Titus chapter number 3 in your Bible, if you would please, and verse number 5. Titus chapter number 3 and verse number 5. We're going to look at some of the other works of the Holy Spirit. Titus chapter number 3 and verse number 5. By the way, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So even when we refer to something like the book of Titus, or Titus said, or Paul said in, in the book of Corinthians, or in Galatians, or whatever, or we say, you know, James said here, or John said here, all of these things are the Word of God. They were inspired to say and write these things, but these are all the words of God. Titus chapter number 3, verse number 5. The Bible says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy... He saved us by the washing of regeneration and what? Renewing of the Holy Ghost. That being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So the Holy Spirit, one of the works that He does, and actually the first work that He does after He convicts us of our sin and reveals unto us our coming judgment, then the first work that He does for a Christian is He renews and regenerates us. The Bible calls it the quickening 
of the Spirit of God. We've been dealing with this in Sunday school, but the, the Bible teaches us that our, our spirit is dead in trespasses and sins. Is everybody okay? That before Christ, our spirit is dead in trespasses and sins. But when we get saved and we come to Christ, then we are resurrected, according to the book of Colossians, a spiritual resurrection. Our dead spirit is quickened and made alive in Christ and is raised up from the deadly grave that it was laying in, in its sin, and made alive again. And who does that work in us? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that regenerates and renews us. Aren't you glad that not only did the Holy Spirit convict you of your sin, but He was there through the entire work. That He convicted you and then when you came to an altar or knelt at your bedside or wherever you were when you got saved, maybe in a car driving down the road and you called upon God, wherever you were. I heard the story of a man who was at work, who was cast to his knees in conviction of, of the need to be... Actually, it was Brother uh, Doucette, wasn't it? Brother Paul Doucette, who was here uh, uh, earlier last year uh, with the group singing, and uh, their dad, we had him get up and get a testimony, and he said that he, he fell under conviction uh, of the Holy Spirit of God in his excavator while he was doing work out wherever he was in his excavator. And he said he fell to his knees in his excavator and got saved. Aren't you glad that when the Holy Spirit of God convicts us and shows us that we're on our way to judgment in our sin, that He also doesn't just leave us at that point. He then does the work of regeneration in us. And He renews us. Now let's look if we could please at... Um, I'm going to skip that one, I think. Hold on. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 in your Bible. It's 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, the work of the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes, you're going to have to take them quickly tonight. We've got work to do. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. And let's pick it up in verse number 12. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 and verse number 12. <laughs> now we have received, not the spirit of the world. Now remember, there is a spirit working in the world. And it is the spirit of Antichrist. Yes? And the spirit of Antichrist has overtaken some preachers and false prophets. Now, I don't believe that we need to demonize every preacher that is out there that gets something maybe a little wrong every now and then. We have to be careful about that. Preachers can be wrong. We're human. And we can get things off. Since I've been here on multiple occasions, I've said things and, 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 and thought afterwards. Why? Why did I say that? That's not even accurate. You know, sometimes in the, heat of, in the heat of preaching, things come out, or sometimes when you're trying to explain something in the Scriptures, you say it in a way that doesn't quite come out the way that is biblical. Sometimes a preacher will mess up. I don't think it's a good spirit for a Christian to sit in the pews and always be looking for a preacher to make a mistake to write him off. That's not the right spirit. You can't ever get anything from the Word of God if you're always looking for something. And I won't demonize preachers that aren't Baptists. I think some of them get some things right every now and then. But just not as often. You, you know, I don't get everything right. The, the men that, that, that I've grown up under, they don't get everything right. I've heard some men that, that taught me through the years, and they said one thing distinctly and passionately. And then a few years later, they're saying something entirely different. 
It happens. We're human. We grow in our knowledge and understanding of the Scriptures. Sometimes we get things wrong. Sometimes we just misspeak. We have to be careful not to just throw out every single time somebody says something or gets something a little bit off, just throw them out and say, well, I'm writing them off. They're worthless. That's, that's not a good spirit to have. Uh, I think the better spirit to have is to trust what is being said unless the Holy Spirit brings to mind a red flag and says, eh, something's a little off there. And then, and then instead of running around and talking about it to everybody before you've studied it for yourself, go study it for yourself and decide what does the Bible actually say instead of spreading problems. Well, what do you think about that? Well, what do you, I don't know. What do you think about that? Before you know it, half the church is not sure what to think when nobody's even really studied it yet. But if you go and study it and you find, you know what, that's not entirely accurate. I have said, and I tried to lay this foundation when I first came here, if I get something wrong in the Bible, please come talk to me. I want to be right with God's Word. I don't want to just be right. I'm responsible for preaching the Word of God and teaching the Word of God. I'm, I, I'm going to stand before God one day and give account for the things that I say. I need to make sure I'm right with the Scriptures. If you come to me with a good spirit and with a Bible verse, or two or three, and say, look, remember that thing you said the other day? Well, the Bible actually says this. Look, I'm open to that. If you can show me from the Bible, I'll listen to you. Now, don't, don't, don't come to me with your opinions and just, well, you know what, I tell you what, uh, I just don't agree with what you said. Well, we don't always like what is said from the Bible, but if you just come to me with feelings, well, I just feel that's not right. Show me some Bible first, then we can have a discussion. But anyway... I'm thinking about telling a story. <laughs> a few years ago, I was, at, I was at a meeting. And actually, no, I had a couple of preachers preaching for me. That's what it was. And one of them stood up and preached a few points of message. And I can't remember, I can't remember what all the, the, uh, the points were, but they, they or what the, the point of the message was, but... Um, it was things like stand up and speak up and things like that. You know, I can't remember exactly, but those were the points of the message. And, and then following right after that, another preacher got up, and he went through all the points, and he said, I think you should stand up, and I think you should this up, and I think you should that up. And he said, I think you should every, every now and then speak up, and then I think you should shut up. <laughs> and I agree with both <laughs> because we have to be careful about our tongues. The longer we let those things run, the worse it gets. Don't kill preachers just because they get things wrong every now and then. We're human. It happens. But if you come talk to me, I'll be glad to listen. And you show me Bible, I'll be glad to look at the Scriptures if I haven't already. But if you come to me in an area that I've studied and I know it's biblically accurate and you say, well, he doesn't listen. Well, if I've already studied it and I know it to be biblically true, I'm not going to move. But I am open to things that I don't know, and there is plenty of that. First Corinthians chapter number 2 and verse number 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world. So there is that spirit working in the world. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, that natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. That natural man is that, 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 that unsaved part of us, the lost 
part of us that, that is only of the flesh. But that spiritual side of us, that which was resurrected, that which was regenerated, that which was quickened and renewed, the spirit of man which was renewed and quickened by the spirit of God, that part of you, the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are what? Spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Now notice this. Who is the one that does this spiritual discerning for us and teaches us these things? Look back at verse number 13. Which things also we speak, not in the words which, which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing what? Spiritual things with spiritual. He gives, he gives us spiritual understanding that cannot be received without the Holy Spirit of God. This is why it's, it's largely pointless to try to have a discussion with somebody about spiritual matters when they're lost. Because they're spiritually discerned. They, they don't have the Spirit of God living inside of them. They're not going to understand everything that you're saying. And sometimes when there are some Christians who say that they are saved, but they don't ever seem to come to any understanding of the Scriptures when we're discussing it with them, I have to question what's going on there too. But anyway, Paul talks about the foolishness of preaching. Look at it in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, uh, just a, a little bit behind that. And look at verse number oh, 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, what? Foolishness. Those that are on their way to hell, to the preaching of the cross to them is foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is what? Look at verse number uh, 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the what? Foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The things that are spoken by the Holy Spirit of God in His words sound like foolishness to a lost world. You talk about the cross to somebody who doesn't believe in the cross or in the things of God, and it sounds crazy to them. You tell somebody who's lost that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and they think you're crazy. But in the Spirit of God, the things that sound foolish to them are powerful unto us. Yes? All right, moving along. So the work of the Holy Spirit. He helps, helps us to understand spiritual things. Um, we've looked at this already. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, verses 3 and 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 8. The, the, one of the other works of the Spirit of God is that He gives spiritual gifts. Is everybody with me? He gives spiritual gifts. When you get saved, He also imparts to His people spiritual gifts. And we went over that, oh, I don't know, months ago and spent a few services on that. So I'm not going to rehash all of that, the spiritual gifts that He brings into our lives. Also, mm, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, very quickly. And look at verse number... Nine. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 9. The Bible says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all what? Goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Look, if you would please, at 
Where is that passage? Oh, Galatians. Okay, there we go. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 22. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 22. The Bible says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also what? Walk in the Spirit. As you walk more in the Spirit, more of His fruits will be evident in your life. He brings fruit into our lives. And listen, Christian, it's really hard to get right with God and walk with God without experiencing some real peace and love and joy and without learning how to be a little more long-suffering, a lot more patient, without learning a little bit of gentleness and goodness and without your faith being increased, the more you walk in the Spirit, the more His fruits are brought into your life. Is everybody okay? All right, now, I'm going to go back to that which I skipped just a little bit ago. We're talking about the works of the Spirit. Look at Acts chapter number 13, if you would please. Acts chapter number 13. I'm skipping around on my notes, trying to be led by the Spirit. I knew this was going to be very informational tonight, but hang with me here just a little while longer, please. Acts chapter number 13. The works of the Holy Spirit. What works does He do in the life of the believer? Acts chapter number 13 and verse number 1. Now there were in the church, it was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. As, why did I read that? I don't know. Verse number 2. I could have skipped all those names. That would have been a blessing to my ministry this evening. As they ministered to the Lord... I could have just said, you know, there are a bunch of guys working in the church. Verse number two. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the who? Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have what? Called them. Now, Saul, who was also Paul, was called to be an apostle, right? But Barnabas was called to be a preacher and a missionary. The work of the Holy Spirit is to call people to His ministry. When I was a young man, we were at a youth camp uh, for, for a week of summer camp there. And a preacher stood up and said that Young people should surrender to the ministry. And maybe after you've surrendered to the ministry, God will impress upon you a calling to the ministry. And he said, some of you young men need to come forward and you need to surrender your life to preach. And maybe after you've surrendered your life to preach, God will call you to preach. But if He never calls you to preach, you're still surrendered to preach and you can preach. And he, it was such a confusing message. I thought, what in, the, what in the world is he even saying? I don't think he knows what he's saying. As a teenager, I, 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 I'm thinking, this doesn't sound right. It wasn't one of those moments where we were 
sitting there waiting for somebody to say something wrong. I didn't even know who this guy was. But as he was preaching, it was, it was that red flag moment. The, like, like something inside of me as a teenager was even saying, uh, yeah, I don't know about that. And as you study the Scriptures, I believe there is clear evidence that in order for a person to surrender to the ministry, they ought to first be called to the ministry. God called all of His disciples. He specifically went to them and asked them to follow Him. He specifically called Saul and turned him into a man uh, that was the greatest missionary to the Gentiles and later, later became known as Paul. But he also, the Bible says here, in verse number 2, called Barnabas to that work of the ministry. I believe it is absolutely vital for us to understand that we do not have any place in placing our children into the ministry. Um, there's, an old, there's an old phrase that some would use back in the day that we have to be careful that our children are not mama called and daddy sent. It's really important for us to understand this. Parents, it is a wonderful thing if you want your children to be in the ministry. I believe that we ought to dream godly dreams for our kids. But don't push them into the work of the ministry. Let God call them. If He calls them, they will know it. But if they are not called and they get pushed into a work that does not belong to them by the equipping of the Holy Spirit of God, then they will only live a disappointed and frustrated life while they try to do a work that they were never called to do. There are some men who say that they've been called to preach. And I want to say this. Not only do I believe that God calls to the ministry, I believe that He also equips for the ministry. Would you please look at 1 Timothy chapter number 1. 1 Timothy chapter number 1. 1 Timothy chapter number 1 and look at verse number 12. 1 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 12. The Bible says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath, what? Enabled me, for that He counted me faithful, what? Putting me into the ministry. Do you see that? He enabled him and put him into the ministry. Do you see that? All right, let's look, if you would please, at 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. I guess we could have stayed in that region. I got him a little bit out of order. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, look at verse number 9. Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the what? Grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. Now, some people will stop there and say, well, he's talking about saving grace. Now, there's no doubt that in order for Paul to be put in this place, he had to first be saved. And there's no doubt that the grace of God was applied to his life in saving grace. But notice the rest. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but what? The grace of God which what? Was with me. Do you see that? I believe that God gives graces specifically to those that He calls for the work that He calls them to. And if He calls you to the ministry, you will be equipped by the grace and power of the Lord Jesus Christ to do that work. 
I think I, I've said here, I can't remember if I said it here or not, um, but certainly in some of the classes that we've been teaching for, for uh, the, uh, the ministry instruction classes. But Charles Spurgeon believed so strongly in this that before he would allow a young man to, be, uh, uh, to, to, to become a member of his school, that he would actually measure their stature, their chest size, the, the width of their shoulders, and the strength of their voice. And he would tell men that if uh, young men that would come to him for training, that if they did not meet the physical qualifications or the projection qualifications, that he would tell them, you're not called because God hasn't equipped you to preach. Now, I don't go that far. I do believe that there are some who maybe don't have a booming voice or broad shoulders or a, a barrel chest that can fill up all of the air to project his voice loudly. I do believe that there are times that God has called some that maybe are in a different way. But I do believe that God equips who he calls. And I believe we ought to be very, very careful about these things. Parents, can I say this? It is a great thing to want your child to be a missionary or a preacher or an assistant pastor or whatever the case may be. But there is a very small number of people that get called to the ministry. I believe a greater number of people are called to the ministry than actually surrender. But your children will be happier living in the will of God and doing the will of God as a layman if they are not called than they ever will be if they're forced into it when they aren't called. Teach them to love God, to be faithful to church, to read their Bibles, to follow the Lord. Teach them how to raise their family, how to raise their children. Teach them how to find joy in the Lord. And brother, if they're not called to the ministry, it will be a real blessing. Because there are stresses that come with it and burdens that come with it. As Paul said, besides all the persecution that he experienced, and he lists all the persecution. He lists being, being stoned and left for dead and being in the sea and tossed in the waves and shipwrecked. And then he says, and besides all this, the care of the churches. It is its own unique burden. And you have to know that you're called and equipped for those things. But not only does God through the Holy Spirit, call men to these things and equip them, but he also gives qualifications for it. Now, I'm a little more conservative in this area than some are. I know some like to, to, to say that the qualifications for a preacher in, in 1 Timothy and in Titus really only apply to a bishop or therefore a pastor. I, I understand why they say it, but, but let me just put it this way. I could be wrong about this, but don't you think there are a few things within those qualifications that every preacher ought to have? Even if not all of them apply? Oh man, I'm about to open up a can of worms. I don't personally believe when the Bible says that a preacher ought to be the husband of one wife that that means the husband of one wife at a time. And some people say, well, I've been divorced, so I can't be a pastor, but I can be an evangelist. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's consider something else. You're supposed to have a good report with them that are without. Yes? That's one of the qualifications. A good report with them that are without. What does that mean? A good report among lost people or people outside of the church. Yes? Can you have a good report? A good testimony? If everybody you preach to knows you're divorced... I don't think so. 
Can you have a good testimony and be qualified to preach if you have some sin in your life that is so public that people can't get over it? No, you don't have a good report. You don't have a good testimony. You don't belong in the pulpit. Can you preach the gospel to sinners in order to teach them how to be saved? Absolutely. We're all called to do that. But do you belong in a pulpit? Your testimony doesn't give you the weight to preach the Word of God anymore. And some people like to discount that stuff and say, well, you know, uh, you know, I know I did this really wicked sin that everybody knows about, but, you know, it's okay. I can go on and preach. No, you can preach the gospel to lost people. We're all called to do that. Every Christian can do that. But the moment you step in the pulpit and try to do the work that a God-called man is called and equipped to do, you stepped in a place that doesn't belong to you. And I believe that firmly. Now, I could be wrong, but I firmly believe it. Not only does God equip those He calls, but He also gives very clear qualifications. Stay with me. Can you give me two more? Just say yes. Um, uh, three more, but I'll just, I'll just talk about one with you. According to John chapter 14 and verse number 26, the Bible says the Holy Spirit helps us to remember. He recalls things to our mind, the things which we have heard. Ooh, I've got so many stories coming to mind. My youth pastor one day was witnessing to him. Uh, uh, we, we, were, we, were, we were knocking doors, walking down the street, we had knocked the door, talked to some young people up on a porch, I think is what it was. They weren't very interested. We went a couple doors down, and somebody chased us after we had knocked on a couple of other doors and said, hey, can you come back to <coughs> certain, certain house? I've got a friend over here who wants, who, wants to be, who wants to hear what you have to say. We went back over there, and it was a, um, a, an American Indian uh, who had a whole bunch of questions about um, their culture and how that relates to the God of the Bible. My youth pastor began giving answers that were just down the line, perfect answers. The guy ended up getting saved. He was a young adult man or teenage guy. I don't remember exactly. And when we walked away from that, I thought, man, man, my youth pastor learned so much at Bible college. Amazing. How in the world did, I mean, they really, they had a class on how to talk to American Indians about spiritism and the Holy Spirit of God. Unbelievable. And maybe they did, I don't know. But as we, as we walked down off that porch and got, down, got to the sidewalk, he said, guys, I don't have a clue what I just said. He said, those answers were not coming from me. I've never broached that topic before. I, I've never even thought about it. He said, but while we were talking, the Holy Spirit kept bringing to mind things that I had heard and learned, but I didn't even know I knew. He reminds us of those things which have been taught by the Word of God. Is everybody okay? And he, and he does that not only in, 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 in areas of witnessing, but also in areas when you get depressed and discouraged, and he reminds you <coughs> of some truth of the Word of God that you need in that moment. Is everybody okay? He reminds us. Next. Uh, these are the last two, okay? Uh, that one didn't count. He empowers us. Acts chapter number 1, very quickly. Acts chapter number 1. We're about done. Stay with me. Acts chapter number 1. 
and verse number 8. <laughs> he says, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. He empowers us to witness. And Christian, this is for everybody. The Holy Spirit of God can empower every Christian to be a witness. You say, well, I don't know what to say. I tell you what, and I mean this. Do a little bit of study. Learn your Bible. Learn, learn some of the passages, but do this. If you've got somebody at work that God has laid on your heart and you don't know what to say, pray and ask God for His Holy Spirit power and then go talk to Him. You'll be amazed as you're speaking to them what God will bring to your mind. Even through the fear and panic. Yes, there should be some preparation, but y'all, we're never totally prepared to talk to a sinner because that battle between their flesh and the devil and our flesh and the devil will always be ongoing no matter how many times you've prepared to talk to somebody about the gospel. That battle will come back every time you try. So sometimes we just have to trust the power of God and go do it. He empowers us to witness every Christian in this room is called to be a witness. And if you lack the understanding, ask for His power. If you lack the drive and determination, ask for the Holy Spirit to give you that desire. The Holy Spirit empowers. He wants to empower people to witness. God's greatest desire is for men and women to be saved. So He wants to empower every Christian in this room to be a witness. And He will. He empowers us to witness. And He empowers those to preach. Look at 1 Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 12. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 12. Stay with me. It's Wednesday night. It's a Bible study. I'm trying. 1 Peter chapter number 1, and look at verse number 12. Speaking of the prophets which came before and prophesied by the power of the Spirit of Christ, you see that in verses, uh, I don't know, 9 through 11 or whatever it is. Verse number 12, unto whom it was revealed, speaking of those prophets, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the what? Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Unto them that have preached the gospel unto you with the what? With the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. In multiple places the Bible refers to the fact, and I'm not going to go to all of them because I'm trying to close up shop. The Bible refers to the fact that God empowers preachers to preach the Word of God. And that leads us into this next point. And I will be done with this one. Let's go back to John chapter number 16 as we close it up this evening. John chapter number 16. And look at verse number 14. 
Speaking of the Spirit, the Bible says, He shall what? Glorify me. Who's speaking here? Jesus is, right? He shall what? Glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. You see, the work that the Holy Spirit does is to glorify Christ. And this is important to understand. God empowers preachers who seek His power. But He does not do that to glorify those men and have their name be lifted up. He doesn't give power unto men so that they can become more popular online or so that they can preach to bigger crowds. He empowers those who preach the Word of God so that Christ might be glorified and uplifted. He glorifies Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit does, not men or preachers, not even Himself. He says very specifically that He won't even speak of Himself, the Holy Spirit does here in John chapter 16, but only of Christ. Can I say this? When a move of God happens in the church, or in a meeting, or at Camp Calvary, or when a work was done in our lives somewhere in the past, we have to be careful to attribute that work to God as a work of the Holy Spirit, not to the man that preached it. I want to close with the place that I started on this study of the Holy Spirit. And that explains why I've been trying to cram everything in tonight because I believe it might be time to be done with the study. Some men have been exalted by their followers or by their church members or by others. And it only leads to the ruin of the work of God in their lives. The Holy Spirit doesn't exalt a man. Men exalt men. The Holy Spirit glorifies and exalts Christ. This is why our theme my first year here was so important to me. For Him, by Him, and in Him. If Calvary Baptist Church wants God to continue to work, we have to properly acknowledge and identify who it is that has done the work throughout our church's history. God uses pastors, but they aren't the source of the work that is done. God used some of the pastors of the past here. But if a preacher gets too much of God's glory, I believe God won't stand for it. God has used many in history, but they were simply vessels for the work that God needed to do. A preacher cannot reach into your heart and make the change happen that is needed. If it wasn't for the power of God, we would never be changed. If it wasn't for the convicting of the Holy Spirit of God, we would never be kept from our sin. If it wasn't 
for the work of God in our families when the preacher cannot be there witnessing the words that we say. If it wasn't for the work of God in those private places when our thoughts begin to overwhelm us and we have no <coughs> peace or comfort and that message that we heard a month ago has long passed out of our minds but the Holy Spirit of God can dwell with us and work in us. If it be not of God, then it will not last. It wasn't their power that cleaned us up and made us new again. It wasn't their power that built churches and worked in that service. It wasn't their power that called missionaries to the field in those services where we heard the, 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 the voice of God so clearly. It wasn't a man that did that work. It was the power of God that did that work. And it's important for us to understand that when a move of God happens in any given service, that the glory and, and, and the recognition and the, 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 the strength of that service be, be clearly identified as the work of God. Yes, God uses men. But if the man be exalted, watch him be quickly removed. Or watch him be quickly humbled. The work done in your life is only of God. If it is of men, it won't last. Christian, I'm glad that sometimes God is so real in church services that it's like we could reach out and touch Him. But be careful to understand where that comes from. I want God to move in our church every single service, but it doesn't always happen. Sometimes that's my fault. I have no doubt. I'm just a man. But when He does... Give it to Him. I believe God wants to do something special with Calvary Baptist Church. I believe God wants to do something special in our families and, and, and in our church and, and in our community. I believe God wants to do something special through you with your co-workers. But it will only ever be done by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. It was the power of God that raised up something like Camp Calvary. And by what? By much prayer. By seeking Him. Listen, can I just say this and we need to close. If you're relying upon me to do a lasting work here, I can't do it. And what our church needs instead is to be reminded that the strength of what God can do will come from the prayer in these pews. You can't rely on my prayer for God to send revival to Campbell. You can't rely upon my preaching for God to see souls saved on Easter Sunday. You can't, 
You can't rely on Brother Dennis Petty to bring the power of God with him when he walks into revival services here uh, in just a couple of weeks. What I'm pleading with you, and maybe I'm not making it clear enough, is this. That every member sitting in these pews this evening understands something that is of great importance. That the power of God is available to our church, but if we rely upon anybody else or put the weight of the work that is being done on Matt Stallman or Caleb Stallman or on Josh Lovins or on Chris O'Neill or on Ron Moses or on Elisha Belcher or on Mike Redman, and we are not corporately as a church seeking the powerful influence of God on every service, on every soul winning time, Listen to me. Will our church understand that if God is going to do a work like He did before, it will come on the back of God's people understanding that He has to do the work and that we will then seek Him as we did before as a ministry. Not waiting for the preacher to seek Him, but all of us seeking Him. Not waiting for Pastor Lovins to pray for the revival of Campbell, but everybody praying for the revival of Campbell. Not waiting for Pastor Lovins to pray for the salvation of somebody's family, but everybody praying for the salvation of somebody's family. Because it's His power and His alone that does the lasting work. It's His power and His alone that will be present this Sunday, that will be present the next Sunday, that will be present the Sunday after that. And whether I'm here or not doesn't matter. The power of God can be here because it's His. It's not mine. I don't own it. And man, does He humble me sometimes and remind me that I don't own it. I want a lasting, powerful effect in our generation. But preachers these days are often the ones that everybody relies upon for the work to be done, and we don't have the power to do it. And people are not seeking God's power for their own ministry anymore. Church members are not praying for the work to be done anymore. Why was Camp Calvary raised up all those years ago? Because God burdened the hearts of some people in the church and the people in the church began to pray for it because they sought Him to do it. That's why. How many times I've spoken with Miss Marietta and heard her say, Oh, it wasn't us that gave that land. That was God. They knew where it came from. And I know we do too. But the issue has become that our churches are not seeing as much work done often because we've forgotten that the power of God is what is going to do it and we should all be seeking that and if we all were and burdened for these things again and not relying on the power of one man to do the work, but rather relying upon the power of God and seeking Him for it on our behalf, greater things could be done. Can I ask you a question? I need to close with this, but and I will. 
How many people were used to preach on the day of Pentecost? Just Peter. Now they all spake, but Peter preached. Do you know how many were there praying? About 120. Huh? Not just Peter. Not just the one that was about to preach. They all had a burden to see something happen and they all prayed. God's power can do it. But we must all see that it comes from Him and not rely upon anybody else, but we should all be seeking Him. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that You would please, please help this evening. I've tried. Lord, in my imperfect state to teach and preach your word, I, I know I fall short. But I pray that your spirit would do the work that I cannot. With heads bowed and eyes.